What is going on, everybody? This is James DeFury, and welcome to Blackballed. Um, <clears throat> I I used a really fat beat for our next guest. I hope he appreciates it. I'm not sure how much he likes hip-hop or not, but I'm just saying that was a pretty dope-ass beat. Um, our guest today is radiologist Dr. David Jacobs. I've, I've known David in the digital sense for, it must be a few years now. Um, I, I, I'm going to talk to him about this specifically, but just, just, just as a little primer, I have noticed that since the pandemic started, um, some of his followers aren't really too happy with his positions. But you know what? We don't have to get into that too much because I know David doesn't like controversy either. But um, we'll talk to him about it right now. Please welcome Dr. David Jacobs. David, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, am I off by that? Because like, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, other people's digital experiences might seem different from um, from the outside in, but I have sort of noticed that. Um, I mean, you, you I, I sort of pegged you as sort of like a soft conservative. I think when I first met you online uh, on Twitter, and then it seemed like when the pandemic started, some of the people that followed you weren't happy with what you were talking about, and it always floored me to see some of the comments that you got because I'm just like, do these do these guys know that he's a doctor? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know. Basically, what I try to do on social media um, is I try to be true to not just true to myself. I try to be true to the information as it's presented to me, um, the information as I know it, and whether that be politics, pandemics, just general social issues. And um, I'm, I'm often wrong in the end uh, because facts do change or, or stories evolve or information evolves. But I don't ever want to pander to an audience because I'm not a broadcaster. I'm not a broadcaster. I'm a doctor. Um, I'm an advocate for my profession. Uh, I'm an advocate for radiologists. And I want to make sure that um you know that I, that i'm not trying to be a celebrity because really how could anyone possibly be a celebrity in canada on social media it's it's such a small market anyhow dude i i think i don't think you're giving enough credit to chair girl <laughs> yeah yeah she uh, she uh, i'm just yeah. saying yeah. <laughs> i'm just saying um so uh radiology I may have made a couple of assumptions here, but are, as a radiologist and during this pandemic, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've had like a front row seat to see what kind of damage that COVID-19 can do to a person's lungs. Is that an accurate statement? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very accurate. You know, radiology is kind of a, a misunderstood field. So what we do are both diagnostic work and interventional work. Uh, so on any given day, uh, I, I end up doing a lot of the breast cancer work uh, for whatever reason. I'm, I've got pretty skilled hands uh, for the biopsies. So on any given day, I'll do six, sometimes even nine biopsies of tumors. So most people don't really associate that with radiology. Uh, my, my interventional colleagues who are doing the uh, uh, heavy lifting that I don't do as much anymore, uh, they'll be doing angiograms, so they'll open up uh, closed-off blood vessels. They'll put um, uh, coils into people's aneurysms. They'll stop active bleeding from uh, all through small little pinholes uh, throughout the body uh, in, through blood vessels. We, uh, we also biopsy every tumor in the body. So I've, uh, I've backed away from this uh, because we have a lot of younger interventional radiologists but uh, so they need time to do their work. But uh, for years, I would do lung biopsies, liver biopsies, pancreas biopsies. That, that's the type of work that we do that's interventional. During this pandemic, um, a lot of what I was doing with COVID patients that was interventional was simpler interventions, just draining lungs, stuff like that. So we did have hands-on work with the COVID patients. But let's be frank, the majority of the hands-on work and frontline stuff was eMERGE docs, ward physicians, and ICU doctors. What we got to see was a bird's eye view of everything because you can, uh, we, so on any given day when I'm on call, I would see, 
you know, 150 patients. So you get an overview of everything that's coming through the emergency room and everything that's coming through that's in the hospital currently uh, from an imaging point of view. Yeah, and I was looking up some stuff before uh, our interview here, and I saw this from uh, National Geographic, and it says the world's brightest extras reveal COVID-19's damage to the body. And then um, I haven't showed you that. I probably should have showed you this before the show. But this one, um, I believe the white areas are the the COVID-related infections. Um, it doesn't have to be this picture, but can you give us a sort of rundown of what COVID does to the lungs and how it kind of differentiates from a typical pneumonia? Yeah, so, so COVID's very interesting. Um, and uh, in medicine, you never want to be interesting, just as a by the by. <laughs> you don't want to be an interesting case. But COVID was very interesting. So when it first came out, I remember, I, I, you know, I, I've got uh, a fair amount of uh, hair dye in my hair. I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than I probably look. Uh, I was around for the, uh, for the first SARS epidemic. Uh, so I was in hospital. I was just starting my career at that point. Um, and so I know what, what, what SARS can do. Um, and I've, uh, I've lived through it. And it was, uh, we were in one of the hardest hit hospitals up in Richmond Hill. Um, so when I saw COVID come through, I had certain expectations, but they weren't quite what I was expecting. What we saw, uh, was a very odd pattern. So you'd have these faint, almost, you know, questionable areas of, of ground glass opacity, which means kind of, it looks like, uh, like, uh, somebody's put a little bit of sand on the periphery of the lungs and then it would move in very quickly. Uh, and then it would really be quite, uh, quite like a whiteout of the lungs almost. Uh, and it had a very predictable pattern in terms of how it started, where it went, and it had a very predictable time frame of how it progressed, at least in the first wave. So you could look at an x-ray and say, eh, that's COVID, right? Um, and much more reliably than I could with the, with the initial SARS. Um, the, thing that was really interesting though is when I first saw this I said that looks like something else that I've seen before so I looked at it and I said that looks like something called an eosinophilic pneumonia and oh, what right. fit with- yeah oh, <laughs> so <laughs> but it's important it's an important point yeah. uh, because an eosinophilic pneumonia is an inflammatory pneumonia so it's not, it's, it, the damage caused by that is inflammatory. It's not the infection itself causing that. So I looked at that, I said, huh, you know, I wonder if steroids would work to treat this. And there was a lot of back and forth. And you gotta be really careful about going out there and, 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 and giving advice. You know, I, I'm a diagnostician uh, and, in, and I do interventions. But I, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not inter- an internal medicine physician. So, what ended up happening, though, is the people in the doctors in Spain kind of said, "Huh." I, they weren't thinking about eosinophilic, eosinophilic pneumonia, but they were saying, "Is this inflammatory-mediated damage, or is it an infection that's causing the damage?" And they kind of did a hail mary pass, and they started treating with with steroids, and they had some success. So I, I would, I, I'm not sure exactly who to credit with that, but Spain was really on the forefront of that. And they've saved, and that saved a tremendous number of lives. So it, it's an interesting pneumonia. Uh, and clearly we, we've done as well as I think we can right now with it. Uh, but um, yeah, it, 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 was, uh, it was quite something to see when it's first started. I remember, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, trying to peddle conspiracy theories at all here because it's it's not really about like i believe that this is a pandemic I, i'm vaccinated i'm about to get my third vaccination next week um i'm all in, in 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 this in the areas where it's important however in 2019 myself included my wife once my ex-girlfriend twice i i knew two people my whole life who had pneumonia and then yeah. in 2019 from the summer to like december I literally knew like 15 people who were diagnosed with pneumonia. 
And right. I tried to be sleuthy about it and just I, I called a bunch of hospitals and I asked them um, just a general question of whether or not they kept any blood samples from all these people that were diagnosed with pneumonia in late 2019. And, and I guess I guess hospitals don't really keep that stuff. That's what I was told. But is there like any circumstantial evidence or whatever that um, could indicate that COVID was here before um January 2020 or whatever, whenever it said it was out, because it, it just seemed kind of coincidental to me. And and by the way, my my lung infection lasted like five months. I, like it, it, you know, it, it's certainly possible. But you you point to the correct uh, idea that without the blood samples, without the sputum samples, how will we ever know? Uh, so uh, you know, uh, my my son had a vicious pneumonia. Uh, you know, just before the pandemic really broke, um, a couple of months before. And I thought, maybe, could have been, I don't know. You know, the, these it, we, we've got a tremendous amount of international travel through Canada. Uh, and just because it exploded in Wuhan doesn't mean that it hadn't traveled outside of Wuhan before it exploded. I still believe that Wuhan is the epicenter of this. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you, you have to get a critical mass uh, when you're when you're dealing with exponential growth for people to take notice. And so certainly a lot of people could have had it and made their way out of Wuhan, particularly given the fact that we know that there's a lot of asymptomatic spread from COVID. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say, well, maybe this was out a lot earlier than we thought. Do hospitals are do they normally um, get rid of blood samples once results are in? Is that sort of how it works? I was curious. So. Uh, yeah. I, I know that uh, tissue samples uh, traditionally were kept uh, for a very long time, um, and I believe it's Iron Mountain was one of the big companies that would store tissue samples uh, because sometimes you have to go back and re and look at the slides again. Now that those slides are digital. I don't know. I mean, we're in kind of a new age, but when I was younger, everything had to be kept for a very long time. Um, in terms of blood vials, just think about the volume of blood that we take in any hospital on any given day. It would be mountains and mountains of, of vials of blood. I, I can't imagine that they're kept for particularly long. Well, um, would that have impacted Maybe you don't know the answer to some of these questions. I know you're not a virologist or whatever, but um, with if we had started, um, if, if if in the spring of 2020 we, which was apparently the first wave, if we had call, if we knew that that was maybe the second or third wave, would that have impacted the evolution of the virus, or would that have impacted how we were treating it, or not really? I I don't know. I think that um, what I can tell you is this: our one big opportunity to snuff out the pandemic was at its epicenter in Wuhan. It doesn't, so if we had really truly contained it um, in Wuhan um, and the Chinese government had prevented flights out of Wuhan and really early on acknowledged that there was a problem and kind of snuffed it out there, that would have gone a long way to preventing the disaster that we've been living through for the last two years. Uh, little embers floating all over the world. Yeah, I mean, th those, are, those are manageable. Uh, but if you've got, uh, but what you really need to do is you need to contain the fire at its source. Uh, so since we weren't able to do that, what we lived through was inevitable. Yeah, and I mean, we don't even, we know the source in the sense of what province it was in in China, but we still... And, and this has really been interesting about how the evolution of the argument of the lab leak theory versus the bat wet market theory. I, I find that really interesting because um, about a year and a half ago, if you even brought up lab leaks, you were a racist, apparently. <laughs> and now um, I think it's I actually, kind of a generally accepted theory, isn't it? No, I, actually, that's the opposite. Early on, I said that there's no way that this was a lab leak. Uh, so early on, I said, this is likely an animal vector because that's how coronaviruses uh, develop, like the last SARS that we had. So that was that wasn't a lab leak. And I thought, realistically, this is unlikely to be a lab leak either. This is more likely to, to 
did for us uh, for a coronavirus to do what a coronavirus does and evolve as it does. We have a lot of interaction between humans and the animal world. We we somehow see ourselves as separate, but we're not. <laughs> we're just another animal walking the earth. Uh, so everyone's surprised when uh, when there's a transmission of viruses between uh, two different animals. Uh, we're an animal. That's how it works. So uh, I I was I never subscribed to the lab leak theory. Um, is it possible? Sure. I mean, when you're mucking around with uh, viruses in a lab, yeah, I guess it's it's possible. Uh, I just thought it was unlikely. She was of the same mind. I think he's a little softer on the possibility now, but originally Fauci thought it was ridiculous. If you want to know whether you're on the right side of an argument with COVID, if you're on the side with Fauci, then you're on the right side at that time. You just lost like 50 followers, my friend. I don't. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, the, the reason why the lab leak theory seemed interesting to me is not, not because of the like it was being spread by, I interviewed, um, General Spalding, who used to be on the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, in the Trump administration. And um, there are people like like him who wanted it to be the lab leak because they were looking for any excuse that they could find to, to be combative yeah, with China. Well, yeah. China specifically. Um, but then when I started reading more and more about it, it just um, John Stewart had a really funny interview where he was like, you know, just because there is a lab in Wuhan that studies the coronavirus and this particular coronavirus doesn't mean that the coronavirus that we're experiencing yeah, came yeah, from the I lab mean, and the exact problem. Like, it's like, yeah, I guess it's kind of a coincidence. I don't know. Did they set up the lab there because it was rife with coronaviruses in that area? Like, my, my understanding is that because it's close to where the uh, bats are in China, that that made the most sense to set up the lab there. So yeah. I, I think that that's uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of like when you see the uh, th that that meme on the Internet with a huge crater in the ground and a visitor center right beside it. And they're like, oh, my God, another in, you know, an another few feet. And it would have taken out the visitor center. It's like <laughs> no, the visitor center is there because that's where the meteor hit. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, you know, you can you, you can argue it both ways uh, again. That th this is so far beyond my area of expertise. Uh, I, I mean, how on earth would someone like myself, who is basically an anatomist, uh, start parsing through data that is best served by a geneticist and a virologist? I, I and at a complex level, I, I couldn't possibly. Do. Oh yeah, well I can because you know. No, I can't. Um, because the internet. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I just, I just, uh, I, I find it interesting. I actually don't think we're ever going to solve that issue, like, of, of where it came from. No. Um, I don't know if it's important uh, from a medical standpoint. It's probably super important from a geopolitical standpoint. Um, and there's a part of me that, uh, and now we're just conversing. I don't expect you to be an expert in everything that we converse about. But, um, you know, the, there is a, um, I, I kind of hope, even if it was a lab leak, that we never find out. Because then I can just see an, a war taking place as the world decides, holy shit, you know, like, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a nation that, you know, may have infected the planet and, and not, not even nefariously. I, the, the lab leak theory that makes the most sense to me is the one that says it accidentally escaped the lab. I can buy yeah. that, you know, like, I, you no, know, I don't no, think no one is going to purposely infect their own population. I mean, and. If anyone is kind of like a, a, a Bond villain right, right now, looking at this saying "mwahaha," uh, they, they've got to understand exactly. Look at you, yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. That's all I have if, to do. I know how to say anything. People just know. You know. Austin Powers, man. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're, I mean, you can see right now that a viral weapon is a ridiculous thing to to put out because it's uncontrollable. You can't control it. Uh, it you, you might think you can control it, but it'll mutate, uh, and eventually it'll come right back at you. It's like throwing a boomerang with uh, with dynamite attached to it. It's not a good idea. It's probably not smart. Yeah, that's right. Um, I also uh, I remember SARS because I was living um, at Spadina in college when when SARS uh, 
came when, when SARS when SARS uh, you know made its first appearance. And uh, I what I recall from that though that that kind of bothered me is that I had this routine every day. I would walk out of my house. I'd walk down towards Kensington, say hi to Christy Blatchford, who was almost always watching her, walking her dog. God rest her soul. I don't believe in God, but rest in peace. Um, and then I'd go get my coffee, and I'd come back home. I think I grabbed a paper along the way, and um, and then I turn on my TV, and they would be like, Chinatown is is uh, is all wearing masks, and people are like as- afraid on the street. And I'm just like, no. I live there, you know, Um, the difference between then and now, as far as the media concerned, not that much. What is the uh, how did we contain the first SARS outbreak? Why did that turn into a pandemic? You know, we got lucky. So the first SARS pandemic uh, was predominantly spread inside hospitals. There was, it wasn't as contagious as any of these variants have been. And so it was predominantly spread from patient to patient and patient to nurses. We lost a lot of nurses uh, in the first SARS pandemic. Um, and that was tragic. Uh, but that's why the, the population, I, I remember, um, boy, it, it's, uh, it brings back a lot of memories. I was um, working at the hospital and we had to go to, uh, uh, an event afterwards, my wife and I, newly married, and uh, we, uh, so I went to the event, and afterwards, uh, there was a lot of talk, and should he be here, why was he there, and then my wife was actually asked not to come into work for a while, uh, despite the fact that I was, uh, had asymptomatic, uh, she was even more removed, and it gave you a little insight into uh, the human mind and human nature. So people's, uh, so yes, there's lots of banging, there was, there was no banging on pots or cheers for the healthcare worker. There was more a slight uh, unease and maybe a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say disdain, but just kind of like, uh, maybe you don't come around here right now. So when I, I remember that quite, vividly from the first SARS and none of the behavior that's happened during this wave, uh, positive or negative for physicians surprises me. Uh, it's disappointing, have, but it is what it is. Every time I've ever been to a hospital, um, and I'm specifically thinking about when, <clears throat> excuse me, when my wife uh, gave birth to our two children, um, it felt like nurses were like the backbone. Of, of the hospital like when I whenever no offense to you I know you're not a nurse but you're a radiologist but but you know like the um I saw the doctor that delivered my wife's uh our first child um like two seconds before she was dilated to the appropriate amount or whatever yeah. and then the the 20 minutes that my wife pushed the baby out and then for 10 minutes after that and that was it and, and the rest of the time for like a day and a half it was nurses and I, I, I walked away that first time having so much, not that I didn't before, but like a profound respect for nurses um, in the hospital. And I, I feel like there's kind of like the unsung heroes of, of the pandemic in a lot of ways, um, which makes it really confusing why there seems to be a higher percentage than normal of them who don't believe in vaccines. I <laughs> see how you turn that. Um, yeah. So... And I'm not asking you to trash nurses. I'm just wondering if yeah, it, no, like, no, yeah. I, 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 I don't fully understand it. And it's not just nurses. We have technologists who don't want to get vaccinated. We've got a very small sliver of doctors who don't want to get vaccinated. Um, and it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you can see in the hospital how sick the sickest patients can be from COVID, and you can see that these patients were perfectly fine walking around. And if COVID hadn't been there, they would be alive for another 30 years, easily, some of them, you know, even long. So it's always been a mystery to me as to why people in healthcare, we can take it away from nurses. It's just why, when you know what is out there, when you've seen it with your own eyes, why wouldn't you protect yourself? Uh, I can't explain it. 
yeah it, it's it's a very strange phenomenon and um you know is, is there a you know i know COVID just seems so strange because um there's no real way that regular people can speak about it competently um because it's been so fluid and and the fluidity of this pandemic has kind of made it so that facts that are facts one day um, are not necessarily facts the next day or from one wave to the next, the way well, that it evolves. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, the, 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 the first uh, version uh, of COVID that we saw uh, behaved very differently. And Delta, which was a rough one, we saw it did respond very well to the vaccine and it, you could prevent spread with the vaccine, with Omicron. The, uh, again, it, it, the vaccine works extremely well, as does the booster in terms of preventing severe disease, just like Delta, but it doesn't work so well in terms of spread, uh, preventing spread. And that's, that becomes a, a whole political problem and an ideology problem because, uh, you know, it takes so much momentum to get the government to move in one direction or another uh, that when you suddenly the virus decides, well, I'm changing how I behave, it takes a long time for the government and the pundits uh, and the advocates and the, uh, you know, and the purists and the people who reject the science and all that to catch up. It takes a while. And by the time they've caught up, there's a possibility something new is on the horizon. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is something, something you do. do. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. And it's that fluidity, in my opinion, that has led to the sort of explosion slash activation of all these conspiracy theories and and conspiracy theorists. Because um, I can't remember another situation except for 9-11 that had all of these ancillary details that made it easy for people to believe in something that wasn't true. There, it's, uh, it's been a tough one. It's been a tough one. It's been a tough one right from the beginning. If you'll recall, I, I had a bit of a back and forth with Matt Gurney. Uh, Matt Gurney was the first one to pull the alarm bell at school, and I was like, Matt, Come on, man. <laughs> Let's just, I did that. I, I did always, that a lot during exams, too. I did that a lot. Okay, well, I, I would not recommend that. Uh, yeah. So I was, uh, when when I first saw it, I figured, okay, this is going to be another SARS, and it's going to be containable, just like the last SARS was. Well, I was dead wrong. Um, and there's a lot of, and then people started coming out saying, we don't need masks. Well, I was one of the first guys to say, no, you, you, you do. Look at Taiwan. They're winning. So do what the winning team is doing. Taiwan is winning and they're wearing masks. So let's do that. Um, so, you know, if you're sitting there at home and you hear an expert say, don't wear masks, and then the next day they say, wear masks. Well, it leaves all sorts of room for somebody who's prone to conspiracy theories. Yeah, the mask thing is is still difficult because... Um... I think, aren't we at a place now where what we're saying is is that the N95 masks are great, the cloth masks, eh, negligible? So it's it's always a matter of degree. If somebody's coming at you with uh, with a sword, yeah, you can have a full suit of armor, 
you can have uh, hockey gear on, or you can just be wearing a paper bag. Um, I'd like the full suit of armor. I'm going to choose the hockey gear over the uh, over the wet paper bag. So you know, th there's different levels of protection, um, and uh, I think with with Omicron, it becomes uh, a little bit more difficult because it's so damn contagious. Uh, and is it realistic to think that everyone's going to be walking around with N95 masks? Probably not. I think that the better way of doing this is making sure that everyone is protected against severe disease. Um, and if we can do that through vaccination, then we're blessed to have that option. Um, I'd like to treat the second half of the show um, um, just by sort of dispelling medical myths as much as you can. Um, I really love how you say that you're not an expert in this, that, or the other thing. You don't have to say that anymore. <laughs> like, like, <you laughs> it's know. understood that I don't know what I'm talking about. No, <laughs> it's understood that you're a radiologist and that you're so accurate that you don't want to mislead people into thinking that you're a radiologist. But like maybe these are sort of... Um, uh, overarching questions that maybe uh, you can you can answer. If you can't answer. That's fine. But so the um, each hospital will get twenty two thousand dollars for every death that's labeled COVID. True or false? I've never heard of it. Okay, it seems like that's something that would be made up. Uh, maybe in the states that might exist, but it seems I, I couldn't even imagine that that would be in the states. The the reality of it is is that hospitals get uh, a global budget. The budget is. Uh, negotiated at the beginning of the year. There are some um, health outcome, sort of special procedures that the government wants us to do. They're more complex. Uh, they are uh, traditionally would be less lucrative. They eat up a lot of hospital resources. So uh, I think this, those are something-based procedures, quality, yeah, QBPs, quality-based procedures. So they have all sorts of ways to incentivize a hospital to do things that uh, they would otherwise uh, maybe not want to have that program. But I've never heard of that for, uh, you know, that's like a hip replacement or that's like, can right. you do uh, gastric bypass surgeries or, or something like that? It's not, can you take care of a patient with a pneumonia? Never heard of that. Okay. Um, the uh, Another thing is uh, the the way that vaccines uh were rolled out and how the mixed vaccines the astrazeneca to pfizer and moderna originally had a really high efficacy rate and then it went down i i'm of the mind what actually your analogy that you just said worked perfectly for what i'm about to say which is that even uh an overestimated vaccine efficacy rate is better than no vaccine Absolutely. Particularly when you see how devastating COVID is on the lungs. So some people get lucky and some people are very unlucky. Uh, and if you're very unlucky from COVID, uh, it can be life changing or life ending. So uh, all you need to know is that there were almost scuffles in the lineup to, <laughs> to get vaccinated among the healthcare workers, everybody wanted to be first in line to get that damn shot. Uh, we know that there are a small percentage of healthcare workers who didn't get it and won't get it, but that's a vanishingly small number of doctors and nurses. From a doctor's point of view, it was, I think the initial uptake was over 95, 99%. It was very high. Um, so, you know, it was well tested. Nobody overseas grew a third eye out of the back of their head. Uh, so we knew that it was going to be fine. If you understand the basics of cellular biology, which we all do, we knew that the R mRNA was never going to make it into the cell nucleus to impact our DNA. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, that's like saying, yeah, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll keep away from the analogies, but it was just, it's biologically um uh, dubious to say the least. My, my favorite was reading about couples who they uh, they they would get divorced because one of them would be vaccinated and say it was the husband, and then the wife was just like, "I can't I can't be with you anymore because if we have sex, the spike proteins will give me internal bleeding." I I strongly <laughs> suspect that that divorce was uh, in the cards prior to COVID. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that, maybe that, it, that, it could have been that, the husband that convinced her of the spike protein. It's really, honey. I'm just saying, you know, you may want to call the lawyer because I, I don't know if I'll do some I damage. I think that was probably more an inevitability than uh, than a casualty of COVID. <laughs> okay. Um, next medical uh, controversy or whatever you want to call it. Um, I And I don't know why this one is so difficult to understand. The dying of COVID versus dying with COVID. I think by now we all understand that people who die of COVID alone is is fairly low. It's like seven or eight percent, and then the people that die with COVID because the person has a pre existing condition, and and you know anti vaxxers use that as a as a main talking point, and 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 I'm just of the mind where it's like, listen, if you have debilitating illnesses that have slowly and gradually led you to the edge of the cliff, and then COVID comes up and just nudges you over, gives you the gentle. That, push right that's so, still so, dying of covid in my view isn't it so it, 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 it's actually you're wrong okay you're fired so cut his uh, mic someone cut his mic <laughs> there, there there are two extremes okay. uh there's the puritanical covid zero group um and then there are the anti-vaxxers both groups are wrong they're wrong um, but I'm neither of those groups, so how am I wrong? I need to know that first. I'm, I'm oh, it's killing. Okay, me. so well, and that's why we can have it, and that's why we can have a, an intelligent conversation about this. Yeah. Um, so when you're looking at um, something that can have asymptomatic spread, so it's asymptomatic spread, and you have a hundred people in a room, when you test those hundred people, a certain percentage will end up having COVID some of those people will remain asymptomatic some of them will get sick of the ones who remain asymptomatic some of them might get hit by a truck right, right. so if you test them i'm pretty darn sure that it was the grill of a mac truck that got them it wasn't COVID. so right. right now when you look at uh the statistics in ontario it can be anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of patients are in hospital and they happen to have COVID versus in hospital who are sick from COVID. And you can tell there's a glaring difference. One of them is going to have uh, a chest x-ray that's perfectly normal. And the other one's going to have a chest x-ray uh, that, that's almost whited out. So it, it, there, there really is a big difference. And I think that that's a place where ideology and politics has made it impossible to have a rational conversation around that. So different sides of the argument push a narrative and mm -hmm. the the COVID zero group requires high numbers of COVID in order for their narrative to make sense. Whereas the anti-vaxxers require low numbers of COVID for their narrative to make sense. Personally, I don't give a damn about either of their narratives. I give a damn about what's in front of me, the patients in front of me, and uh, what that means in terms of how to take care of them, hospital capacity, and public health measures. So that's really the sweet spot, and that's what everyone should be going, you know, gunning for. But the loudest voices in the room, unfortunately, usually take over the conversation. Okay, but specifically, because I still don't know what I was wrong about, so I'm going to ask again. Um, specifically, <laughs> if, if you, uh, the people that die of COVID alone with nothing else, pretty yeah. low, 7% or so, and then people that die um, with COVID and have other pre-existing conditions um, that they may have that and COVID pushed them over the cliff. To me, again, that's like an AIDS patient uh, developing pneumonia and dying of pneumonia. Oh, for, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So if okay. you have a, if you have somebody who's on the floor, uh, who's a fragile elderly patient and they have a COVID pneumonia, and they also have heart disease, a uh, uh, cancer and uh dementia they died from covid all right? right covid was the last straw that's clear okay. right so that makes a lot of sense but when you've got um somebody uh, and again we'll go to the extreme an asymptomatic uh 20 year old who comes in uh after a motor vehicle collision and dies on uh in the emergency room and they happen to test positive for covid that's not the same thing so we have a lot of patients in hospital right now who have who are there for fractures and they they happen to test 
positive for COVID because it has a very high prevalence in the population currently. So we have to kind of balance those two things. But yes, the fragile elderly um, who uh, where COVID is the last straw that broke their back, yeah, that, that should be a COVID-related death because that's what pushed them. And if it wasn't COVID, if it was if they came in and had influenza and died, you wouldn't right. debate that. You'd say they died from influenza, right? So we've got to we've got to depoliticize uh, COVID and look at it in a rational frame. Yeah, it makes me worried, man. Like, uh, you know, when the next pandemic comes and it's going to come, you know, um, are we, you know, are we going to have this army of of anti-vaccination people who who remember this time? Um, and, and, and are we going to do this all over again? Because I, I'm I'm super worried about um, civil unrest. And I'm not even talking about Ottawa. I know you don't want to talk about it. Neither do I, to be honest with you. But but uh, civil unrest in the, in, in the more general sense, this polarization and what it's doing to us and it's pulling us apart. I don't see, and maybe this is where you and I might actually, might, might have a, a political agreement, which would be that I don't see this government since the beginning um, with a clear message uh, even though the situation was fluid, when one of their facts was then contradicted by their own health minister, you know, a week later, they never stopped and took the 10 seconds to own the fact that they got it wrong a week before. So, Have you noticed that? Oh, I, I, I noticed that in politics all the time. And, and I'll be courteous to not even uh, uh, attribute it to one party or one country or anything. This is modern politics. Modern politics is about gotcha. Modern politics about is about never saying that you're wrong because they'll take a video clip of that and play it over and over again. Modern politics and social media and media have become very much intertwined, and they have been in the past, but it's so easy to twist words and, and whatnot that people are very hesitant to admit faults. The other part of modern politics that is really disturbing to me, and you touched on this, is the fact that politics of division works. Mm. And we've seen that. Now I will point a finger. With Trudeau, politics of division has been very successful for him. And we've seen that not just with Trudeau, but with other governments over the years and, and some very nasty governments as well. Um, you know, fascism makes a you know make strong use of that um we know that it works and people and it saddens me but doesn't surprise me that politicians are willing to go to that well in order to win power um it, that it never speaks- surprised me before either but it did like i i i said at the beginning of this pandemic that and I and I felt this way for like a week, <clears throat> and then it was clear that it wasn't happening. That if anything can can sort of like put the polarization thing on pause, it would be like a worldwide health crisis. And it barely not. Deepened. No, it got worse. <laughs> it got so much worse. And there's all these bad actors that are like that are putting politics ahead of the public good, and it just revealed that our entire planet is leaderless if we're not run by gangsters we're run by dummies do you know what i mean well we, we we're run by people who want popularity contests um and sometimes that works out sometimes it doesn't uh or or as you said we're run by gangsters people who took power by force what nietzsche has the best one on that if i if i've got it right it, it, something along the line of power is there on the floor to pick it up if only you'll just bend low enough <laughs> so wow, it's uh i think he may have said in the gutter but yeah. <laughs> uh he's uh and that that that's true um but it's 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 a sad truism i mean many people do go into politics uh because because they want to make things better um but the nature of politics in, uh, in 2022, it's not such a nice thing. No, it's not. I, I'm I'm of the firm belief that party politics is is the main culprit in in that sort of rabid 
partisanship. Like it literally comes from that word. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the, you know, I, I have this dream that um, I had a dream. No, I won't do that. Um, <laughs> I had this dream that that maybe one day um, we can get rid of parties and people can run as independents and we'll still have the same amount of seats in parliament. And then they'll be forced to actually debate issues because none of them represent an entity anymore. You know, they would just represent their constituents. They would figure out, okay, here's the problem. How are we going to deal with this problem? Sure. They're going to, they're going to be people that like then form groups and they don't call themselves parties, but the people, I don't, I, you know, I, I think the people want honest debate, not ideological uh, solutions to, to, to problems that, that are too important. It, it would be nice, but I think that um, unfortunately you end up with either a part, a, a bunch of parties of one who are um, voted in for single issue uh, agendas, and you see that a lot with the uh, both the Liberals and the Conservatives right now. You have um, MPs who are elected by a, a narrow group of people within their constituency because they said. I'm going to make sure that um, uh, we get a factory built in our town, or I'm going to make sure that uh, abortion rights come to the forefront, or I'm going to make sure that abortion rights are never brought up. Uh, you know, so you've got some people with very narrow scopes who are going to end up uh, with no ringmaster, no way of kind of saying, yeah, you know what, don't say that. You can't say that, that or that's racist. Please don't do that. Or let me educate you on that because what you're doing is going to hurt yourself. It's going to hurt people. So if we've got a bunch of individuals in, in parliament, there's, uh, there's also a, um, a unintended, there are unintended consequences as well. Um, I just wish people were um, a little bit more noble. That's it. I just wish they were, people were just a little braver. Um, it would be nice. I agree. Um, bravery is a, we're in short supply <laughs> of bravery. We're also very much, um, I was saying this yesterday. I, I think, uh, I think it was yesterday. I was talking to Karima uh, Saeed about, uh, um, I, when I was young and, and I don't know how old you are. I'm 45. So we're, we might be close to the same age. Um, and, uh, you got a laughing. few years on my friend. Okay, good. <laughs> you look better, so fuck it. <laughs> um, but I remember being young and, and being told that the TV will rot your brain. You know, it's the idiot box, this, that, and the other thing. And now we carry one in our pockets, and it's designed to make us angry. Yep. Um, are we? Is anyone really surprised that we are, that we are where we are then? No. With that kind of evolution. No, and I've got to tell you, I, I've been giving it some thought this morning and last night as well. In between cases, it was a busy night last night. Holy smokes. But I've been giving some thought about my use of social media and how it's evolved and where it should go. Uh, you know, I, I, I started off um, kind of as an activist trying to push against the wind government. Uh, because she had um, really damaged healthcare quite considerably. Uh, and most physicians at the time were pushing back. And I had clever, you know, clever tweets and made all sorts of memes that were uh, very popular and uh, not nice, though. They weren't nice. And a, salt, then, a little bit of salt you put on those memes? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of salt, a little bit of lemon. Not so nice. And then, um, again, Trudeau uh, upset me about a couple of things. I, I He wasn't even on my radar. But then just time after time, I was like, how can you do this? And then again, I was uh, pretty salty with him as well, memes and stuff. And, uh, and then I thought, is this really appropriate? For somebody my age, and 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 I tried to justify it, saying, "Well, listen, this is um, this is like caricatures. This is like political cartoons. But is it really, and is it necessary to get the point across? I I I, I don't know. It was certainly effective, but I, I can't say that I really want to go back to that. Yeah, it's um, 
I mean, I think social media is is kind of the devil, and it's and it's unfortunate because, um, you know, now what do we do? Because we're uh, many of us, including myself, we rely on it for what we do for a living so much that I don't want to see the abolition of of social media. <clears throat> I don't want to see the censorship of social media either. But with something populated with so many millions and in some cases over a billion people. You can't control that. You can't get that genie back in the bottle. There's going to be bad actors that influence people that are low information people, right? Like that, it happens. We just saw it happen in this plan, in this in this pandemic, um, and it started with the documentary Plandemic, which immediately it was like February or March or maybe April of 2020, and I had friends calling me like when they saw it, like like can you believe this? That fucking Fauci guy is like taking our money and fucking trying to kill everybody and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they sent me this documentary and it's really well produced and it's like believable. And I, you know, it's so, so is every star Wars movie, but it doesn't mean that I think that we live on, uh, uh, on a planet, uh, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, you know, and, I, know and, I would and say that... the star Wars movie was predictable, but okay. I think I get your greater <laughs> point. <though. laughs> the, uh, I, I, I agree with you. Listen, there, there, there's, um, we're not getting rid of social media. We're not getting rid of the internet. We're not getting rid of, uh, smartphones. And it's comes at a very, very steep price. And it comes at our. Uh, so we increase our product productivity a bit. We increase our connectivity a bit. I mean, this is nice. I like this. We increase the dissemination of information, but we decrease our physical contact with people. We decrease meaningful interactions with people. We um, allow ourselves to be horrible people uh, under the shelter of anonymity. Uh, we bring a lot of bile into the world that way. Um, yeah, I don't like the anonymous aspect of, of social media. I can't stand that, to be honest with you. Although some people are willing to be really nasty with their faces plastered on it as well and their names. So, you know, Why? what did you like... hear? <laughs> <laughs> I've toned it down a bit. I've toned it, I've toned it down a lot since the beginning. I actually hated Twitter for years because I forgot that it existed even until I started working with Dean. I started, yep. I, 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 I didn't really tweet that much. And it was just because of like, you can't go there and just be like, Hey, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. So, like someone's just going to call you a dick just for saying that, you know? And I was like, what is this place? And now I'm just like, I, 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 you know, I accept it for what it is. And I think it's made me better, not worse. Like I don't I try not to call people names. And if I do, I try to be like, funny about it a friend of mine said something to me the other day like you're really good at patting people on the head while kneeing them in the balls and i was like okay <laughs> i'll take it that's awesome uh yeah the the, the backhanded compliment uh, yeah. uh i mean i it, twitter's a really nasty nasty space um and i'm fortunate now that i have enough people who i can talk to and interact on twitter enough uh, I they call them followers. I just people who who, who listen to what I say. Um, That's demeaning, isn't it? it isn't it though? Nobody's <laughs> following me. They're just it's like I'm putting something out there, and and they choose to listen to it or not. They're not yeah, following me. Uh, I met so, Jay Z once, and 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 I I had to talk this like security guard into the, into uh, and letting me backstage. And to his credit, he let me backstage, and. Um, and someone who was like one of Jay-Z's bodyguards or something was like, who the fuck is that guy? And the, the door guy that let me in or whatever was like, he's a fan. And I was so offended. I was like, I'm, well, listen, not, not to split hairs here, but I'm a listener of his music. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I don't, I don't know. And they were like, well, you're going to have to leave that. And I'm like, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those moments where I was like, just shut the fuck up, stupid. And then, but my pride was like, no. I'm not a fanatic for anyone. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a guy that likes his music. And then I shook his hand and he barely looked at me and walked away. This is totally fine. But anyways, the follower thing is is all. And I think it was designed that way. It feels like it was designed that way. People want followers. 
you know? I, I, like, I think so. It gives you this false sense of prestige. And, it, and I think it actually, in some ways, enables you to talk down to people, which you shouldn't yeah. be doing. And yeah. uh, so the one thing that I changed early on is I stopped kind of going after individuals who are saying nasty things uh, occasionally i'll wipe out the the name and the uh and and uh and their any recognizing anything that you could see oh i know who that person is any identifiers and i'll say listen you know this is kind of silly don't say that or i might be a little saltier than that but even that i'm trying to get away from you know it, it, the last couple of days there have been a lot of revelations that have come out where um i said something been ridiculed for it and proven to by experts and proven to be 100 percent correct in what i had said uh with new research and numbers and and the, their predictions being completely wrong and i put it out there i said you're wrong here it is here's what you said here's what it is and you know what i've learned from that it doesn't really give you much satisfaction being right because they're not going to give you the satisfaction of admitting that they were wrong. It doesn't change the fact that they were nasty to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't convince anybody of anything. So I think probably, and this is a, an epiphany of maturity at my mature age, probably the best thing to do is to just talk about what you know and what you believe and the information that you have to support it and leave the the jabs out of it you know i think, mind I you, think getting, you're right yeah i'm getting jabbed by some pretty big people in the newspapers so i'm like yeah eh. <laughs> it, it doesn't it's like that kind of stings uh it's not very nice and uh but at, at the end of the day i'm probably yeah, getting any attention to it yeah it's, it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of uh funny ironies out there like uh like I saw someone uh, uh, post something on Facebook, actually, um, this anti-bullying campaign. And someone's like, Where, where'd you hear about this? And he's like, on Twitter. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you know. Um, listen, we're going to wrap now, but I just wanted to show you this again, just because um, I didn't show you this before, but I should have. But this is that whole National Geographic diagnostic imaging of what COVID looks like in the lung. I think COVID is like the blue or the white or whatever. I could be wrong about that. That's fantastic. I think that's a cadaveric x-ray. They've got a new uh, type of uh, a new machine that gives you uh, almost pathology slide like details. Um, oh, right on. And uh, I, I but you can only do it on cadavers right now. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. So I, I well, believe that, that that's a cat cadaveric sample. I could be wrong, but that's I think that's the technology. Okay, well, I wanted your expert opinion because I recently had my own lungs x-rayed. And yes. I just want to show that to you and just wondering if you see anything, um, you know, that I should be worried about. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, you need, <laughs> you need to rethink your life choices is what that x-ray says. <laughs> okay. Because I feel fantastic. I got to tell you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> No, I'm not high. I'm not, I don't get high before shows anymore. Dean told me I wasn't allowed, so that's, that's good. Um, Dr. David Jacobs, thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. It's always it's different than your name. Doc, at Dr. Rad Jacobs? Jacobs. At it's Jacobs. Uh, at D-R-J-A-C-O-B-S-R-A-D for radiologists. At okay. Dr. He's Jacobs. A, he's a great follow. Um, he's civil. He's less salty than he was two years ago. Um and uh, and he's a medical professional and um, and I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always nice talking. Nice talking to you, buddy. Uh, yeah, Doctor David Jacobs. He's he's a good guy. He was he's funny because he's he he has a lot of humility and uh, I think I described him in my um, preview as uh, as a renowned radiologist and he said that he got some flack for that from uh, coworkers. So sorry about that, David. Um, yeah, uh, tune in in about an hour uh, on the Dean Blundell Show. Uh, I'll be there. And until then, thank you for joining me here on Blackball. I'll see you later.
The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.